about everything right now and <laughs> i'm finding that's very unproductive so i know last week two weeks ago before you guys went to scotland i think we had talked about possibly sitting down for a podcast about zone two and how to actually do it and the effectiveness of it and why your 30 minute bike ride staring at your cell phone the whole time is not zone two fair i mean it, the name inherently uh, is gonna be more ranting than probably educating so i think it's if you listen to the fitness is fucked podcast you're probably <laughs> probably into ranting a little bit uh, you understand it at least it productive ranting is better than me just bitching about my shitty day yeah fair um i would say yeah the 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 idea of zone two that's out in the um internet social media uh sphere is pretty annoying yeah so, like it's um aggravating Mostly because it's not like new. This like is always going to come up and down. It, it had a resurgence a couple of years ago, but I think it took a while for people to like actually get to it. And so I was irritated in 2016, <laughs> as one might. And then I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And now you're irritated. Why well, are you irritated? <laughs> well, when I came up in fitness, I was at OPEX first. And we never talked the word zone two or the term specifically, but James was always harping aerobic work we did a lot of like 40 to 60 minute he called them around the world sessions which just like continuous movement low skilled um and always touting the benefits of kind of long slow distance stuff he wasn't that big into running we did a lot of rowing and biking as you can tell mm-hmm. um and then you know that was at the time i think when crossfit was kind of demonizing steady state cardio longer aerobic pieces like it was it was very much all high intensity um all the time and then i you know i kind of understood it better when i moved here and met you and mark and spent what 2018 here Mm -hmm. or something like that yeah and kind of got into like actually understanding a from like experiencing it and b from listening to you guys talk about it and now that it's kind of a fad Mm -hmm. it's just basically the way it looks to me is any cardio mm-hmm. you do people are deeming zone two uh, anytime you're on a machine right it's zone two and i think um i put something up about it a few weeks ago and a guy reached out and he was just like yeah i think conversational pace leaves a lot of room for interpretation and i think that description does and people go like oh well i can spin on a bike and talk to people therefore i'm doing it mm. and you're like well not really and then last week when you were out of town, Jamie and I had a very good conversation about this, um, talking about like when he was obsessed with, mm-hmm. with cycling and kind of like what he did and how he felt when he was doing zone two efforts. And I think a better way to describe it is like you can talk, but you don't want to yeah. because your attention is taken up with pacing, mm-hmm. figuring out how you're feeling, making adjustments as opposed to like conversational pace and relaxing like trying to um reduce the amount of anxiety around what's going on movement patterns um 
terrain, uh, topographical or otherwise, yeah. time, um, heart rate, stuff like that, starts to actually kick the heart rate up in reaction to. I think if what's interesting is like if people don't understand how misunderstood this is you take somebody like peter atia who has a very long history of ultra endurance work right um cycling but before that uh ultra swimming yeah because he's a big swimmer right yeah like and I, I think physically as well insane eight and 12 and probably like a full day efforts trying to cross the uh the channel in california and that that's while he was in med school or whatever, he talked a lot about that. The reason I mentioned him is because he, maybe it was a year ago, he had Inago uh, on his podcast. If people don't know, that that's kind of like the, uh, he's the godfather of Zone 2 after Lydiard. So he is basically the Lydiard form of coaching, but in cycling, because Lydiard was a runner. Right. And Lydiard uh, basically established all of this stuff off of, a hill and all the original documentation that kind of goes way back into the 20s and 30s and then Lydiard's kind of like long slow distance approach basically carried everybody forward up until probably the year 2000s when it started to change and then you have new thought coming out of the nike camp and magnus is probably the most well known out of that who started to make hybrid systems that actually worked other than that it was kind of an argument about uh, long slow distance versus like intervals what was better right and Lydiard never made that argument he said long slow distance and then intervals like it, there is no argument there's not this is better than that there is only this there's only building volume into intensity anything else is actually fundamentally incorrect and just for an analogy like the volume building would be the crafting of a knife in the sense that like you form a shape to a degree and then the intervals and intensity is to sharpen that yeah. And you can only do both so many times without either kind of dulling it to the point where you can't use it effectively or sharpening it too much that it breaks. Correct. So in order to go up, I need to go out. Right. Right. You need you need space on a horizontal before you can go vertical. And that that area, what you're building in between there is tolerance. Tolerance specifically only happens through a very exact, I mean, there's a very precise thing uh, that's happening in your reaction to consistent exercise. And that can generally only happen between one and two millimoles. Um, the interesting thing about the Inago thing is like you, you have Peter Tia basically had to change his entire routine, like his entire training methodology, because he was also under the impression that he was doing zone two. And Inago was like, what are you doing? And he's like this. No, like it's measured specifically like this. If you don't do this, there is no efficiency that comes. And from when it. you say one to two millimoles, you mean lactate in lactate. the blood during the effort. During exercise. Yeah. So uh, what's interesting is like that's the that's the measurement that they're looking for when you would go to, I mean, any like real endurance sport, any real coach is probably going to have to have you do a ramp test or an LT test in order to figure out that precise measurement. Now, everybody else, 99% of the people who are either amateur or weekend warriors or, you know, uh, I play around, but I don't actually get coached or people trying to figure it on their own and don't want to like pay for expensive testing. They're generally... Um, just making extrapolations and correlations based off of heart rate. So that's where the heart rate thing comes in because right. people have access to heart rate monitors and 
you can make a correlation to what between one and two millimole would be based off of your average heart rate. That's where people get zone two training based off of heart rate, but it is a correlation. It is not an right, actual precise measurement. You're still kind of guessing. 100%. Yeah. Like, especially you get somebody with tachycardia like Aaron, her zone two is happening at like 165 to 167 uh, beats per minute. Mine happens at 135 to 142. Right. That, but if you met, if you talk to her when she's running that hard, like she's talking to, she can talk to you right. when her heart rate is as high as like 175. It's like the most bizarre thing you've seen, but it is part of it. That's why you can't use heart rate for everybody. Not a good measure. Yeah, and then I've noticed, A, for myself, and B, just from researching it, and I think um, Phil Maffetone talks about mm -hmm. this. Brad Kearns probably too, because I know he's like a Maffetone acolyte. Mm -hmm. um, like if you have injury, sickness, mm -hmm. stress, like that all means that whatever heart rate you think you're supposed to do should be lower. Less. Because yeah. all of that will spike your heart rate you know, if you're trying to cycle, run, or whatever, and you have an injury, that inherently is going to elevate your heart rate just because you're in pain. Yeah, yeah, that it's all because a lot of this is um, subjective or perceptional thing. So you raise the temperature in a room and you display it for somebody, and it's above room temperature, their heart rate increases just based off of the like uh, perception that it's hot hotter. Right. And so they, they actually fatigue faster and their heart rate is higher and therefore they're more likely to be outside of the zone that they would normally be able to subjectively tell that they're in. So we've done, the interesting part about this is like we've done kind of the last little bit, we've done obviously a little build and it's like, it's like a micro endurance build. It's not r really like. It's like it probably the most useful way I think you could do it in a gym setting. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, I, that yeah, isn't sure. monotonous, monostructural, like keeping people engaged, understanding oh. that we're trying to run a business and people have to kind of want to come do it. Yeah, well, so when we talk about um, like optimizing the most optimal training is usually what you're looking for. Like, how can I get? And this is this is where Zone Two enters, like the life hack, um, transhumanist. Uh, life ha or like biohacker bullshit field of when they're like, oh, they figured out actually you can modify your biology very, very quickly by doing this one trick. And that's like sticking to zone two for X amount of time. Uh, that That is technically a, a trick, but it needs to be progressive. Otherwise you lose the trick very, very quickly. Um, the interesting thing about that is that then they talk about what the most optimal is. Like what what do you have to do to get zone two training to pay the biggest uh, uh, return on investment. And that's usually like, if you talk to any athlete, that's what they're gonna do for their specific sport. So if I was a runner, uh, I would run. Sure. And I would run at a very specific pace for a very specific time. And that specific time is, is dictated by my reaction to the time. So it's not that you just start, this is where a lot of programmers or coaches get it incorrect in implementation because they go, oh, like, uh, when does endurance start for you? And you go, they might have heard us talk about it starts at the 90 minute mark. So they're like, cool, I'm gonna have my client do endurance training. So they're like, cool, your first run, 90 minutes at a at like zone two pace. And you're like, that person probably, that that is a, I don't know, that is an injury causing session sure. for most it's, people. It's not something you can build on. No, and it's, it's likely detrimental, yeah. right? So, 
when we're looking at it, you're like, we're, we have to look at how, A, what the modality is and how efficient you are and where we can push that to. So how long you should be doing zone two training is dependent on how long you have done zone two training, which is why the fix for CrossFitters is such a easy, it's such a simple fix, but it happens all the time. Like, oh man, my, uh, they always go harder. So the example, we just had somebody that actually, uh, a friend of ours that couldn't qualify for uh, like a international CrossFit event. Um, we trained with them a little bit and I was immediately like, you do not have an aerobic base. If it was a five minute throwdown, I w- it would annihilate everybody because he's very tuned for that. And he's four feet tall. Yeah, man, CrossFit. I, yeah, just I like calling out short people. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so uh, we, we just addressed it like, oh, you have an aerobic base problem. And he was like, really? Like, I thought I just needed to go harder. And you're like, no, 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 you can see it in about the 30-minute mark. You completely, even with movements that he's familiar with, you kind of completely fall apart. Like you, that's that's a foundational problem. Right. You need to actually stop doing uh, intensity and and just gear it towards this. And they're like, so baffled, right? But where did we start? We started with a testing what his zone two is. So a math test according to Mathetone, which is a max aerobic, uh, you know, uh, functional uh, score. Uh, it's measuring efficiency. Right. Um, so that one is kind of an algorithm based off of heart rate, but it gets really close because it takes like adjustments like you mentioned, sickness, illness, injury, stuff like that into consideration. And that gets you probably, I would say I've never seen it outside of people who have like medical tachycardia issues. I've never seen it be outside like four or five beats of sure. what a true zone two is based off of lactate. It's really accurate. So we started with the math test. The math test is fairly simple. You pick your domain. What do you want to get better? We always choose running because it's it, it, it highlights efficiency um, unlike a bike can hide. Right, or lack thereof. Yes, yeah. So you, it's easy to hide on a bike. Yeah, yeah, you coast a lot, yeah. right? And when you don't run, you're not running, you're walking. Right. And so it becomes very obvious of when you're doing the thing. And the pace is very obvious. When you slow down incrementally, it just it's so obvious that you're slowing down. So we you know, find a heart rate score according to this algorithm, which we have in our endurance manual. It's easy to, to check. And then we have you warm up and then run a mile and just see what the score is. My guess was that this kid was probably closer to an 11, 11, 15 mile. Just, and I've never ran with him. I've never seen him. Just seeing where he fell apart, that was my guess. Sure enough, he ran like I think 11 something, 11, 12 or something. And he was like fairly frustrated because he can run faster. Like he can probably run a five minute mile, no problem. Right. But he can't run a five minute mile efficiently. In fact, he can't run efficiently under 11 minutes and 15 seconds. Which right, means, and the breakdown from that, you're like, oh, five minute mile, yeah. six and a half minute mile, 12 minute mile, I'm yeah. walking. Yeah, exactly. And that, and it feels more like for most people that are coming from a like high level of high intensity yeah. uh, fitness, it feels really frustrating because when you're first trying to establish this pace, it's not a pace you're familiar with. It's like a walk, jog, run, jog, walk back and forth it's so sporadic that it feels like this can't be right and at least from my experience you also like feel good yeah and you're like i'll start running again if you had to walk which i've had to do 
constantly for those sorts of uh, efforts. And then all of a sudden you take like four steps and your heart rate's back like fucking 20 beats over where you want it. And you're like, cool, I'm walking again. Yep. And that's that's how you peg it. That's how you like get your time. And then essentially we look at, okay, then we try to make a guess. Where do you think the efficiency is going to drop off? Now, this would correlate to if I were measuring lactate, this number would almost be exact. If, if, if you were... Uh, zone two heart rate is set, let's say it's somewhere between 140 and 145 for your average 25 to 35 year old that is healthy and doesn't have uh, any illnesses. Um, they would, if they were inefficient, like most CrossFitters are, my guess is that their predominant efficiency in the 11 to 20 minute area means that they will break down and they will experience cardiac drift somewhere around the 30 minute mark, right? That cardiac drift is correlated to the uh, lactate pushing over two millimoles. So once that pushes over, it means you're 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 going to continue to skyrocket up into what we'd call tempo or lactic threshold. That is not efficiency. In fact, totally different metabolic pathways right. are starting to form, and that's why it's not useful for what we're trying to do functionally. So for this kid, it was pretty basic. Hey, go out, uh, run your math score, whatever that's at. Hold that pace. Continue to hold that pace until. Uh, your heart rate starts to go up by three or four, maybe even five beats per minute. And once that happens, pull the session. That's it. That's all it was. And it ended up being like after the 10 minutes, it was like another 20 minutes. Mm. Then he hit it and then he packed up. And he's like, now what? And what do you mean now what? Your body just told you that you're done training efficiency for the day. You just pack it up and go rest. And that to most people doesn't feel like anything because it's a quote unquote conversational pace, but that is where all the action is happening. Like that is where your body is making all the adjustments to build this foundational aerobic efficiency. And so the next session is pretty similar. Double check, test the math score, use the first mile to warm up to your score, double check to make sure you have the same heart rate, then extend it. Then try to aim for five minutes more or 10 minutes more or whatever. Usually I say um, for a week period, test on Monday, do three sessions and just hold that number for that week. And then the next week go up by 10 to 15 minutes. That for six to eight or even 12 weeks at the most. And you'll see a very clear adaptation to that, to that domain. It is very frustrating to start, but you do see progress fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, at least from my experience, especially if you can try to, you know, mitigate your own thoughts of like, we'll just keep going. Yeah. Or like, oh, I just want to add 10 minutes because I feel good, but you're still not like paying attention to your heart rate. Yeah. If you actually can manage like, oh, it's it's happening. I'm done. Go home. Rest the day. Come back mm -hmm. the next or whenever. Do it again. Um, it, it seems like over the course of, you know, like you said, eight to 12 weeks, like you do see considerable progress. Yeah, the, I guess the hard part, because the progress is the progress. I know people are like, I don't even have to do anything right as a coach like you make adjustments here and there but you can check in with me once a month and you can probably be on the same targeted path right it's also kind of up to people to find during that time domain in their inter brain workings um the all the good stuff comes out of that and nobody needs to coach you through that you start working on uh, rhythmic breathing and adjusting stride length and starting starting to like actually notice when the body breaks down so you can make adjustments. So for like 
myself or somebody has like similar anatomy, my feet are going to break down before anything because I'm a technically heavy runner, heavy runner, right? So my feet and my calves and then my hips are mm. usually what go in that chain. So my lungs can go like a history of, you know, endurance sports, my lungs are going to be fine. It's usually the mechanics that break down. And then once the mechanics break down, they take a bigger toll on the lungs and aerobic system, but it's like a chain effect. And most people don't recognize that. They think that this is just an oxygen problem so they think they can quote unquote hack it that's what i think the majority of people think that they're doing and that's why riding a bike at zone two is i don't prefer that people use that a the crossover is not great right right like the you if you're good at a bike it doesn't mean you're good at anything. Right, you else. can't cycle your way into being good at running. Never, not not in a not in a million years. Right, it, because you, there's so much other loading going on based on running out in the world yeah. as opposed to sitting on a bike and like there's no eccentric loading on a bike. Yeah, and, and and also the other way, if you want to, if you are going to compete on a bike, running will not get you right. there. Because the cyclic nature of spinning means that like the tolerance is very different. To, to tolerate acidity on a bike is a very specific thing that you have to adjust to. Same thing I would say is like you have to adjust to the acidity of like rowing, right? That's a different flush cycle than a bike or sure. a run. Uh, no eccentric unloading, but also different mechanic and largely the upper body plays a huge role in it. So maybe that um, that factor makes it different enough that it becomes obvious to most people. But let's just say that the the sport that you're trying to get efficient at is is very it should be very specific other than if i want to be generally aerobically better if i just want to be generally aerobically better now we go back to what i was talking about what they like the most optimal way so i just described the most optimal way right. which is just to do the one thing that you want to get good at because that is the fastest most direct way to build all of these networks that we're talking about specifically in zone 2 you're building mitochondrial uh, density and capillary networking. So when there's more capillary uh, networking into the mus uh, musculature, you have an increased efficiency because blood flow is so much easier there. And is that why also crossover from machines or whatever mm -hmm. to running or vice versa or biking out in the world cycling also doesn't carry over as well because you're not using the same muscles the same way. Most likely. Yeah. Most likely that is the specific limitation. The things that are generically uh, that cross over are like hypertrophy of the left ventricle, um, like the uh, utilization and optimization of the alveoli in the lungs, like the ability to take in more oxygen and process oxygen into the blood. That is the generic aerobic work that most people are looking for. Uh, but you won't see performance benefits until you get that networking and that mitochondrial right. density. And so that that comes specific. But we recognize that nobody really, like not nobody, but anybody that's in a functional gym generally just wants to be better aerobically across the board. Right. Upper body, lower body, calves, you know, all the stuff is probably right. good. If they were obsessed with running, they may not be in a gym. They may just be out running. And that's what that's 100% what you find. Uh, you, if you like running, you don't even need to know this. You're out there running and you're figuring it out because if you like the thing, this is always, this has always baffled me about, uh, CrossFit and, and, and gym people in general. And now this new, like biohacking bullshit that people think that they're doing zone too, because they think they're like, they're always coming up with shortcuts. But if you like the activity, why are you trying to do it less? That doesn't make any sense. 
right? Like when I was racing bikes, I was trying to ride bikes more. So the right. only thing I was trying to figure out was my schedule. Everything else took care of itself. That I had no questions about how to get better because I would just ride longer. And that meant I was getting better. And I would go up more hills faster. And that meant I was getting better. And if I got to a hill and I was like blowing up on the hill, I'd be like, man, I just, I guess I need to practice going longer. Right. You're, you're, you're finding your specific limitations mm -hmm. just by doing and yeah. paying attention, obviously. But and, and you're riding with other people. And so you're seeing like where they're strong and where you're not. And you're like, oh man, in a headwind, I'm, I'm not that good. So maybe I need slower repetitions. I need to build more fundamental like pedal strength. But in running, the same thing is true. Everybody knows the person that likes to go uphill, right? They head uphill. Why do they do it? Is it, well, because at one time they probably noticed that they were limited, but then they noticed once they got over that limitation that they started dropping people. And that's where you get a You're like, oh, I actually enjoy this because I, in comparison, I'm so much better at this than other people. Right. So that like reinforces, gives you a positive feedback loop on the activity. Then you become what's known as kind of like a billy goat. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a mountain goat. I run uphill or I bike uphill or I do, I do all of this stuff that gravity punishes people for. And the reason I do it is because while I was practicing, not trying to just get more efficient so that I could like biohack my way to health and fitness, because I was literally just enjoying the activity that I was doing. And nowadays that's so unheard of, but I think there's something to that. So we, we understand that getting out there, like getting out there and enjoying endurance uh, activities I think it's kind of hard to impress on people how enjoyable it is. Once you're out there, I think it's fine. Like if you can get somebody out on a trail or on a bike or doing whatever, you don't need to tell them how enjoyable yeah, it kind is. Of like, it kind of speaks for itself. And yeah. I noticed that a few times you took me out on horrible mountain bike rides <laughs> or the time you, Mark and Joe made me do the, do immigration, which honestly like wasn't as horrible as I thought. Yeah. I mean, I'm 200 at that time, probably 270 pounds. So yeah. going up that hill wasn't the most fun I've ever had. You but you get to bike. the top and like you feel accomplished. Yeah. And then you look around after you catch your breath a little bit and you're like, oh, this doesn't suck. Yeah. As opposed to falling on the ground in a gym and yeah. then you get done. And not saying there's not a sense of accomplishment, but you look around and you're like, oh, these four walls are cool that I see all the time. I Yeah, but it's drudgery. Yeah, it but is. Everybody, yeah. Uh, everybody dreads indoor training, especially in how you look at it now is like, why do gym people not do zone two? Well, because it's fairly uncomfortable. Right, if you're really doing zone two, yeah, because it's a it's a state and rate that you have to be just present enough to hold, mm -hmm. but it's not present enough to be challenging or fun necessarily in the way that you want it to be. Like, oh, I bet I could go harder. Like that that is uh, fast because it ends fast, but it's also like immediately gratifying to think that you're working hard at something. And zone two is just kind of like I just sit here, and you're like, and then if I'm a little bit inattentive, I'm below it, and mm -hmm. that's not good enough, so I have to bring it back up. And if I go too hard, that's above it, and I'm not doing the right thing. So you're kind of like just hovering in this, I don't know, it's a, pur a purgatory of yeah. sorts of, of training where it's not gratifying to do when you're indoors. Especially when you have your own thoughts in your head doing what all of our thoughts do. Yes. And they're creeping in, and you're trying to pay attention to this thing, and there's no... Like you're not distracted by the world. And I don't mean distracted in a bad sense, but like when you're running on a trail, yep. riding a bike in fucking, 
you know, wherever you guys, Bulgaria, all that stuff, and you're like immersed in beauty almost. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm. Um, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm in it. And I'm then just doing the thing. You're looking around the gym, and there's like, cool. It's just me and my thoughts. Yep. While also trying to pay attention to this specific pace, I'm trying to hold. And I mean, I probably enjoy doing that more than most do, but also like, you know, it it comes a point where you're like, this is. The suffering I'm getting from this, from my own thoughts, is probably outweighing the benefits I'm getting from this thing. So now it's time to adjust and shift focus because my brain's just gone. Yeah, I'll never. Well, a, I will never regret, but also forget and replicate the uh, four seasons of bike racing that I spent training in the winter indoors. So bike racing season <laughs> in Utah starts in February. So I think you told me this for the. F- at least I paid attention to do it for the first time when you told me the other day, and you're like, oh, that sucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because really I sit bad. on a stationary bike quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You exceeded that exponentially in whatever period of time you were cycling. And I didn't even come anywhere near what Jamie did. Jamie yeah. was an insane person with He was it. talking to me last week about it. Yeah, but I would say he got really smart with it and became a lot more efficient. So for my volume building... Um, I thought volume was better than hyper-specific volume, right? So instead of hitting like zone two, I also was trying to deal with contact point issues. I just needed to be on a bike right. for like four to five the hours. The old paint toughening? Yeah. Plus that, probably elbows, hands. Everything. Just yeah. getting used to the uncomfortable nature of Back being. position. Yeah, all of that stuff. And so I just wanted to be, and for time trialing, it was the same, right? If you can hold, so I used to, a lot of my rides were on a time, in a time trial position for as long as I could tolerate. Yeah, that part was fucking nuts. So yeah, three, three to four hours was once a week I would do that. One of my rides would be time trial position only, and it became, you know, it was fairly headstrong so it's like oh i gotta do the fuck yeah yeah i get you it was um it but it burned me out of it big time it almost ruined the sport of it and that this is why this is why i think we know a lot about it because i've gone down all the roads of like how to develop this and i've done it sometimes in the most unhelpful ways riding indoors can be extremely beneficial but it can also turn you off to wanting to train because it's not rewarding. Like right. you don't feel it. You you don't. It's not. It's good for you, obviously, but it's not mentally rewarding most times. So, in my you know preoccupation with uh, you know developing zone two, more volume was better. So when I had time for it in the week, my biggest weeks were like thirty six and thirty eight hours a week on a bike. Now that I could never do that in the winter, but my average riding in the winter was like twenty six, twenty seven hours which would be indoors. How many days a week was that? It's every day. Yeah, oh, I, there right. was, oh, yeah, I guess it would have to be. If you're doing three to four, yeah. seven days a week, yeah, you're looking at There was never, there was a time period when I was racing bikes where I didn't miss a day on a bike for probably like three years. No shit. Not one. And Joe, Joe's done this like uh, a bunch of times where he's like seen how long he can go without missing a day on a bike. And he's gone years sometimes. Sure. Uh, and it's just like, whether it's a spinner, I would just always be on a bike. I think that the next, when I noticed it, that it was a problem is when I flew to South Africa, I missed a day and then it took me a day to build my bike. And I was like, Oh my God, I was going fucking crazy. Cause I hadn't ridden my bike in like three days and I felt so weird. Sure. And then when I got on it, I was like, Oh, I'm on the wrong side. Oh, I'm in South Africa. This is not, <laughs> and it felt really weird, but it was good because I could go explore that sit. And this is what most people don't recognize is like why that was so fun for me is like, 
naivety took me to the edge of the world and I got to go explore it because I had a base of endurance like I couldn't believe. Right, and you can actually enjoy because you can look around, yeah. you know, pay attention, but also like you're not dying from the effort that you're doing because of the base and the volume that you built yeah, prior now, to that. Now I'm not training, I'm touring, right? I'm like sightseeing, I'm exploring, I'm doing like all of these things that I could not do unless I had that base. And this is what the base affords you. And this is why we think it's important. This is why we always push people towards developing it. And this is where we're different probably than any other people that do this kind of thing. I don't know anybody else, including other gyms, that know this stuff. Because it's not like any of this shit is secret, right? Like, you want to know about Zone 2, there's every book in the world on it. You want to know about uh, building aerobic base, you can get all the data, all the muscle biopsies, you know, it's out there. And there's plenty of coaches that talk about it. Granted, they're generally talking about it for a very specific discipline and within the context of like doing that discipline outside. So our, why I think we're special, you know, in the, in, in this regard is like, I think we've developed a way to make training for an aerobic base interesting inside four walls. That being said, we always push people outside because that is ultimately the benefit. Sure. And the difference is, is like, well, we figured out some inherent traps that are involved. The first and foremost is when you start, like the normal term for this would come from triath uh, triathlon training, bricking workouts, running, biking, swimming. In the olden days, it was thought like I got to practice the transition. That's true only to a very small degree. The truth is, you'll be much more efficient if you just train one domain on that training day. Or if you have two a days, train one and then the other on the other. <clears throat> the uh, bricking gives you some kind of sense of what it's like to get out of the water and get onto a bike. So when or, you say bricking, you mean doing two of those three modalities back to back? Yeah, or three of them. Or like, all of them. Yeah, or all of them, but mostly two. Like most people do like run, uh, run, run, swim, run, or something like weird. Usually it's just a swim and then a run, uh, but I've done plenty of workouts when I was doing triathlon that would be like run, bike, run. And like over and over again for like five or six hours, you're just like running a couple miles, riding a couple miles, running a couple miles. And it's just to build volume and keep what, what's interesting is like what people didn't notice about it. Cause we got back to the conversation of like, this is the most optimal way to train. You have to do this. Otherwise you're suboptimal and you're not going to be the best athlete in the world, which was do one domain because that's the most efficient. But when I have to do that, I don't do as much. It's not as enjoyable. If it's not enjoyable, I'm not going to do it. The <laughs> best plan could be the best plan, but it's the worst plan if you don't do it. Right. And so for us, we understand obviously that a single domain will get you more efficiency, better results on a any kind of measurable uh, effort if you stick to that. But people don't do it and they don't want to do it. So we devise ways to come up with like clever ways of keeping the aerobic system intact and training it with you know, familiar exercises in a gym, mostly machines, obviously, but also step ups and, you know, body weight lunges and squats. Yeah, like and low skilled body weight movements. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Just keeping it interesting. The trap there is that if you, if you don't, if you don't have somebody guide you through zone two and pull you back a little bit, or maybe the best way to put this is like color the language for, uh, instructing you how to do a session like this. Um, to make it very apparent what the expectations are, the the predisposition is that this is the gym, I got to get it over with. People are always trying to finish faster, right? 
That is not the point. The point is actually the opposite. I'm trying to extend this effort needs to be the intention. So we take, and, and to be honest, you could say this to somebody, you could explain it 12 times, maybe on the 12th time and the 12th session, they might go, oh, I get it. Otherwise, you see, without a doubt, some of our best people who pay attention and are, are very like good. It, I didn't see it until like two weeks ago when they were like, oh, I'm supposed to extend, I'm supposed to go longer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's supposed to like, as opposed to what, what I see, which is like, oh, we're doing a 60 to 90 minute session and they do something called like the JV kick at the end where they're like, oh, I'm there. Right. And then they like speed up in the end. It, it did seem like 90 minutes specifically was very illuminating for that as opposed to anything under that. I think, I think that is the time domain where people start to get it. It's long enough that you cannot bulldoze it. Um, but it's not so long that you slow down. So you really are in that window where you're like, oh, but I can keep going. And once you get to the point where I can go from 90 minutes to two hours, in this context, I think you have built an efficient aerobic base for the context of what you're doing. Right. If you were going to try to do an Ironman or something, that is not good enough. But for the context of most people's lives and, and, and also the longevity piece where you're like, we're not trying to win anything. We're not trying to finish any kind of, you know, uh, arbitrary put together fucking event that tests your metal or whatever. We're just trying to get the benefit of uh, these like biological processes of adaptation. And I think that 90 minutes to two hour mark is probably where the money's at. Sure. Um, so say we had a program people could follow, say it was called the space program. <laughs> and people listening to this, maybe they have it, maybe they don't. But they're like, ooh, I want to like, this is intriguing. I'm curious to know how this works. Like, what would you recommend for like setting up a block, a cycle, whatever for those people. I mean, I know how we just did it in the gym, but you know, from your lips to God's <laughs> ears or however that saying goes. Uh, so like the, so yeah, we, we did, and we're almost done with the, like, uh, propri like the actual build. I think we're on week 10 or something. If I think I'm, it's eight. Um, yeah, but I didn't include the first, the first were like preambles. Oh, but, it was eight from when I got here. Cause yeah, I've been yeah, here yeah. about, it'll be, Two months in like three days, oh, which is fucking crazy. That is fucking <laughs> crazy, actually. Um, yeah, so the uh, the the build process was basically looking at what we've done. We do longer pieces than normal, so maybe people will have to start a little bit shorter than we would. Because our we, I don't know, on average, we hit uh, 40 to 60-minute pieces at least once or twice sure. a week. Like, that. that's our normal time. So yeah, it Lucas was, and I were talking about, it. like, if we do a 20-minute workout now, I'm kind of like, man, we didn't really do that much. I know, it doesn't <laughs> feel like that much. It's kind of weird. Which is a good, I think that's a good perspective to have. Um, but for our people, we were like, okay, uh, the zone two stuff starts at 45 minutes. And so we would organize it. And if you're running a gym or you're in a gym, understand that we get to do whatever the fuck we want. So we don't have like a class schedule that goes, oh, we can't go into the next class. That's up to you to figure out. But just a heads up, if you ask your coach that you need 90 minute sessions, it might get in the way of business and they might, that also might be sure. a constraint. Also find a different fucking gym. I don't give a shit. If you want to get better, you kind of need the time to get better. For us, we started at 45 minutes and without a doubt, half of the people got that wrong for the first like three weeks, right? So we would do three sessions a week, mostly, and especially up front, we could mix the biggest variations of movements. 
uh, explosive step ups, squats, lunges, burpees were could all be kind of a part of it, mixed with like skiing, rowing, running. Always, I, I said from the very beginning I wanted running to be like the core tenant of it because I wanted people to get good at it unless you had an injury or a predisposition towards something and you wanted to stay away from it, then you could bike. But, but I preferred the assault bike rather than the C2 bike because at least it's then quadrupedal. So first uh, first three sessions were 45 minutes each. Then next week, I think we jumped to 55 and we just went up by like five to 10 minutes every week. Um, unless I saw people dip a little bit or I felt like we needed kind of like a little pullback. In week six, I felt people kind of like burned out. So I went back to a 60-minute session as opposed to a 70 just to kind of adjust for it. And then we went up to 90 and now I leave it at 90 and then try to push what we're doing in the 90 minutes. Uh, at the end of this thing, probably next week is my guess, we'll probably end up doing a two-hour thing just to test people's sure. resolve in that area. Uh, and that will be, you know, 10-ish weeks to an aerobic base. Now we have all of the time, uh, all the, uh, I guess, the adaptation that we need in order to uh, kind of temporarily spike capacity ability. And that's what we were looking for. Um, on top of that, because we mentioned like 40, 45 minutes, so I'm, I'm guessing that's what your answer is going to be. If somebody is stuck like in a 60 minute window mm -hmm. in an open gym setting or potentially a class, what would you say like the lowest effective dose for a starting point would be? Like I'm guessing 15 minutes isn't enough. No, I'd say thir 30. About 30. Yeah, I think you need 30 minutes. Um, you could like, because and the reason I say 30 is because when I was on the road and I didn't really have time to do anything, I would do 30 minute runs. Sure. I did a 30 minute run in the morning and a 30 minute run at night to try to like balance it out at yep. least. And that felt like it was enough to keep it up. Right. I didn't lose anything. Um, I definitely didn't gain anything. And then I did like one long run finally when we got up to Isle of Sky where it was like, it wasn't a true zone too because who gives a shit at that point? But right. We, but you're, we, you're more just expressing your fitness to go travel and see. Yeah. I, I, was, try, and I see. was trying to run because I, I didn't want to come back and be kind of like shitty. But we were on foot for like three and a half hours. Uh, maybe an hour of that was running. Right. The rest was like hiking, mountains, stopping, taking pictures, fucking around. Right. That kind of deal. But for the most part, I think a half an hour is a good starting point. It's also a good building point. Because uh, if you can't do a half hour exercise, what have you been doing in the gym? Yeah. I don't know. Intervals. Probably. But man, if you can do 30 minutes of intervals, but you can't consistently do uh, one thing for 30 minutes at an easy pace, well, you probably have some issues in your head and you need to resolve those. And that that's what I think is really interesting to watch because it, I say that kind of jokingly, but honestly, we see it happen all the time yeah. where you see somebody get... Now, we use like, you know, circuit method, a bunch of different ways, whether it's a couplet or a triplet or a AMRAMP or something like that. Uh, we mix match things so that it's interesting to people and it kind of breaks up the time because you're not like, oh yeah. my God, I have to be here for a fucking right. another 45 minutes. That feels terrible. So instead we're like, you know, do 10 minutes of step ups and then 10 minutes of uh, bike and then 10 minutes of run and then 10 minutes of row and 10 minutes of squats and 10 minutes of lunges. And by the end you're like, holy shit, this is like 50 minutes of stuff. Right. And I'm pretty fucking tired but i feel pretty good about it because i didn't ever notice that it was 50 yeah, minutes i, I found the most enjoyable sessions we've done has been when i look up and there's like 45 minutes have surpassed and i'm like oh shit i i thought we just started yeah that that's a good session the <laughs> the bad ones are when you're like 
oh, man, we got to be halfway. And you look up, it's only been like 20 minutes. And you're like, Jesus. I think Christ. when you were out of town, we did 90 minutes straight on a bike because you know me. Yeah. There was a few people that after about a half an hour, you're looking around and you're like, oh, they're done. Yeah. They, they hit that. They hit that point of non-interest. It's good to test every once in a while. I, I was like, you get fidgety. Yeah. But and everybody does. That's the interesting thing about it. But that that is probably one of the unspoken, um, trainable aspects of of endurance training, where you're like, yeah, I'm, I I don't want to be here, but I have to figure out how to stay in it. So like, how do you how do you think about it? Like, what am I thinking? If I start thinking about, okay, I've got only that this much time left. It doesn't work. No. Like, right? Like, I, in five minutes, I'm going to start. You get so much closer and closer to this, like, I'm just going to stop right now. Well, it's like sitting at the DMV, but you're exercising. Like, you can't yeah. go anywhere. You're fucking annoyed. Yeah. You don't know why you're still doing it and or waiting. Yeah. But you just have to. Yeah. So you can't just, yeah, like, I tried to, when we did the 90-minute bike, most people were outside. So I was trying to, at times, like, walk them through the way I think about it. Because mm-hmm. I can't just... I have no issue sitting on a bike for 90 minutes, but right. if I want to do it at something meaningful, I have to like, I have to play games in my head. I'll like pay attention to like the next three minutes and where my calorie counts at and start doing math and then see like, you know, get to that point And maybe I'm close to like the next hundred calories. And I'm yeah. like, Oh cool. Like I'm going to just pay attention to that until I get there and then shift focus. And you know, I think at least for me, the first 45 to maybe 60 minutes of a 90 minute, mm-hmm thing isn't bad in a psychological aspect and then i hit 60 minutes and those last 30 minutes it's like all right 10 minutes at a time eight minutes at a time then you get to 10 minutes left and i'm like okay one minute at a time or two minutes at a time and like try to play with just like focusing on that Mm -hmm. as opposed to i got 30 minutes left i got 28 minutes left i got like I mean, just saying it out loud, I'm getting like, ugh. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of interesting because everybody has their kind of own way that they address it. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. The halfway point is kind of really bad to look at. Yeah. For me, at least. Like, if I look at the halfway point, I'm like, well, it's going to take me longer because I'm more tired. The, like, that's the Yeah, if you're going for a specific thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, we were talking about that the other day with like, uh, we're doing something for calories. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was Monday's workout. Something like that. Or no, it was when we were doing the 60-minute uh, FYF last week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, I'm almost there. And you're like, but if I slow down, then I'm even further away. Yeah. If I slow down a little more, then you're like, I got five minutes left. And all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> oh, now it's five minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah. And that shit's frustrating as fuck. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And, and anything that like deters you or doesn't like reinforced a positive thing then it's it's going to be ugly it gets ugly very very quickly i think looking at time is something that i've learned i don't i try not to look at time necessarily i i start to look at like what i'm doing yeah in that time so like i will look at metrics like okay i look at when i'm running and i'm trying to run for 90 minutes i'm like you know okay at this point i'm at 400 meters so if i like hold this pace and then I go back to like something functional like what do my feet feel like if I can touch the ground and it feels like this I go to like very subjective feeling things that get me out of the time yep. uh, domain and more into the distance and how much I've actually covered because if I go uh, if I'm running at a math pace and right now mine is clocked in at like 840 math mile 
if I'm running that pace, and sometimes it'll average up to like 9, 10 if it's hot or something. But if I'm doing the math and I'm running like, okay, I just finished a mile, that's probably 10-ish minutes, right? And then I run two miles and then I run three miles. And now I know I'm like, I'm close to a half an hour, but probably not quite. So I'm not ready to look at the clock yet. Mm -hmm. And then I start doing checklists of uh, just like checking with like body stuff. How's my posture feel? How do my feet feel? Like, should I, you know, should I consider running on a different surface or, you know, at what point, you know, what's going to break? I'm looking for what's going to break down. Does my knee feel good? Does my hip feel good? Uh, And inevitably i don't even see the clock until i'm more than halfway done sure and then it's kind of like a oh cool i'm more than halfway done now go back to thinking about the you know intricacies right if i'm in a lot of pain or i'm like not doing well or it's like not a good session that i don't feel like i can really push it and i'm just holding on for as much as i can that's okay too I just go, okay, how long can I hold on? And then I start looking at like, okay, if I run for five minutes and then I do this for five minutes and then I do that, that'll give me another 15 minutes. And if I get to the end of that and I feel okay, maybe I can do it again. And that'll give me another half hour. Um, I know I'm done when I start looking the clock and it's only been like two minutes. And I'm like, all right, like I I need to wrap this up in the next And that just comes with like that's experience and you've done it enough. And I think of similar things on like an assault bike. It's like, all right, where's my head at? All right, it's drifting a little bit. How's my body feel? Mm-hmm. Legs feel a little heavy. Lungs feel okay. I'm not like mouth breathing. Yeah. My heart's not trying to like pump out through my fucking chest. I'm like, okay, like this pace is obnoxious, but it feels like the right one to hold. Yeah. Or if I'm riding a little too fast and it's like, all right, my head doesn't want to do this. I'm breathing a little too heavy. My legs feel fucking terrible. <laughs> then I'll back off. But usually like I'll get the sensation in my legs of like, oh, my quads are burning quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it getting any worse? Yeah. Like two minutes go by, not really. It's kind of just staying the same. And I'm like, all right, I think this is it's okay. kind of where I'm at. Ten minutes later, you kind of forget about it because my mind wanders to something else, come yeah. back to it. And you're like, oh, they, like, they still feel heavy, but again, breathing's not bad. I'm not labored. My heart's not going. I could, yeah. If you came over and asked me how I was doing, I could be like, oh, pretty good, and then get right back into it or whatever. That's, I mean, it's interesting. Cause I, there is like something with the, the shorter the time check-ins, the closer you are to probably being yeah. out of it. Um the it's just hard on a bike because it's like fucking right there yeah totally in which case a lot of people will flip their screen yeah. up which i don't like I, i'd like to see the pace i try to not look at the clock yeah like purposefully i mean it's yeah like two inches above pace or calories so it's hard not to but for sure but you're glancing and you can trick yourself into doing something yeah i think the biggest thing that a lot of people miss about this is that it is not about the time necessarily. It is about what happens within the time. That is the quality that comes out of it. So it's a good distinction. Ultimately the pace is important because the pace is representing what your physiology is adapting to, but really probably beyond that on a more like on a deeper level, why I think zone two training is probably very good for people. Uh, is because you're you're having to check in with what's you're doing a scan of your entire body basically nonstop for 90 minutes and that's a level of awareness that people don't normally do unless they sit into a yoga class and an instructor sure. tells them to do that but in order to go long you kind of have to facilitate that 
check in for yourself. You have to be like, okay, how am I feeling? Like, what's breaking down? What can I take care of? Are my feet hot? Are my hands hot? Like, are uh, am I getting enough water? Do I need to like, you know, do I need to do something different? Uh, do I need to like run on a different surface or do I need to change my stride for a little bit or extend my stride or should I pick up the pace just to make it more interesting? That kind of stuff is ultimately what endurance leads to is like the ability to kind of diagnose what you need in the moment when you need it in order to continue the effort. And that's something you don't normally get in a gym. And that's why when people, when gym people do endurance work, they're kind of like lost. They're like, you know, a kid in the forest with no breadcrumbs. Right, because there's nothing long enough in a gym most of the time to facilitate those thoughts. Yeah. Like if you're doing, you know, three by 10 on a bench press, a back squat, a deadlift, or mm-hmm. whatever the movement, bicep curls, it's not enough time. Like you're basically getting to the point till you feel that and you stop. Yeah. I, I would also say, and this is kind of like a new thought, but I think like gym culture is in contradistinction to endurance culture, right? Like, you gym culture is about punishing right it's like like for it's about correcting behavior by like punishments and like little games that we play with like and that that's why people inherently end up hurting themselves in a gym is because they're so tight their their personal worth is tied into a number on a bar or an effort given or something it's like that very ego driven yeah. in a sense yeah that i am worth this because i can lift this it, weight and i didn't quit yeah it's kind of hard to have your i mean and i know it happens especially the probably the further you get or the more into the thing you are. But if you're like, hey, we're going to run for 90 minutes, at least for me, I'm like, well, cool, there's no ego in that. If I can just make it 90 minutes, I'll be stoked. If I could just move for the time period. Right. And this is the inherent difference that I think 99% of people would get wrong if they, you know, especially, you're going to see it because... I'm a, I've been coaching for 20 years and now I'm suddenly into zone two training. So I'm going to take my 20 year practice of yelling at high school kids and teach uh, people how to take care of themselves. That usually doesn't map very well. Um, and that, that's, that's one of the issues with, with this is like, I think about endurance, like building endurance the same way I would think about how would I get a kid to do something, right? I wouldn't be like, you have to do 90 minutes or you're a fucking pussy. I would be like, hey, let's try to do this. And if you want to quit at any time, let's go get ice cream. Like that, like you want it to be a pleasant experience up into a certain point. Sure. Right. You need like dozens and dozens of positive experiences so people can like recognize that it's useful before you do a beatdown session where you're like, I want to go home. And you're like, well, we still have like 10 miles to go. Right. And you're like, well, we got to figure it out. And yeah, those are really useful. Especially in the beginning. Um, I know like we talked at the beginning about like math pace and you can find mm-hmm. those things. But in a gym, like mixed modality setting, mm-hmm. you kind of just have to go through 45 minutes, 60 yes. minutes, 75, 80, 85, 90 to even understand that you're capable to do it before you can start attaching specific metrics or feelings or both to doing those sessions. Yeah, and that that is true. Like once you attach a pace, you kind of ruin the fun, right? Like the fun's over because now I have work to do. Or, or you, yeah, and you might not, and most <laughs> of the time you don't even know. Yeah. But I mean, like when you said, if you said, let's go do a 90 minute session and use an assault bike and I'll run, mm-hmm. I know almost, I know within one RPM what I'm going to hold. Most of the time. Yeah, because yeah, that experience allows you to like, and it's in your body. It's not even in your, there's an expectation visually to look down and see a number. Yeah, I see the number, but it's actually my body's ability to be able to do the thing. I just associate it with 345 watts or whatever because I know that. Yeah, and and you have to break, like when you're doing, 
I mean, a real endurance build, you're breaking that constantly. You're you're reestablishing your uh, kind of like baseline yeah. zone too, which is very uncomfortable all the time. Yeah, and, and that's what makes a training not fun. Like if I wanted to ride a bike for fun, I'm going to turn off all the computers and I'm just going to like ride around and look at stuff. But if I want to get better and I want to beat people who are doing the same thing, I'm going to look at the pace and I'm going to try to constantly move my efficiency. And that's math through one build looks great. That's fun. We can do that. Math through six builds looks like Man, for three years, you're going to be pretty like the thing that you like doing isn't very enjoyable right. because it's training. It's each session is kind of like how much stimulus in the direction of abilities that you don't have can you tolerate? And then you do that over and over and over again. And some days you win it, and some most days you don't. Right. And you keep pushing that. And then at the end of it, you never get on a bike again because you fucking hate it. And that's okay too. Right. Uh, it's an exploratory system. But what what you'll end up doing is hopefully taking all the information, taking all the ability, and translating that into maybe a new domain, which is like. For me, something as simple as mountain biking as opposed to road cycling changes it completely for me. What the fuck was that? I don't know. <laughs> Phone just turned on all by itself. It does that. It's <laughs> fucking weird. That is so weird. Fucking Google or something. What if we had like the world, uh, the nonprofit's most, sh the shortest, uh, shortest episode on endurance? <laughs> Done. <laughs> I mean, we covered it as anything. Else. I mean, you've had you, you've had a different experience than other people have with endurance, and that's why I've, I thought it was always really useful because you didn't have like I don't know a predilection for it. You kind of came to it out yeah, of necessity. I, I've always enjoyed um, like long, monotonous things, like Never, hiking and stuff. Yeah, yeah um, like rucking in the military. I every day we rocked. I loved it. I'd always load my ruck heavier than what they said. I mean, I was always about a fucking hundred pounds heavier than everybody else. Sure. But like that sort of long, monotonous, tedious stuff, I always enjoyed. I never trained it because yeah. I didn't know it at the time. Um, you know, hiking, rucking. My first ever OPT workout was a 60-minute row staring at a white fucking painted brick wall with no music. Um, and I've just always enjoyed those sort of things. But then coming back to it when I met you and actually understanding it better, um, it was very useful for me coming out of the powerlifting world because it is not a fun feeling. And I know I've said this on here a dozen fucking times, but like walking up three flights of stairs to get to your apartment and having it feel like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. It, it's not like it doesn't, it's not empowering. It's the opposite of that. Like it's demoralizing and you get, at least for me, I got to the point, I mean, I was broken with injuries um, I always gravitate better to training around people that, you know, kind of lift me up and I didn't have that for a long time. And it just puts me in this weird, um, like incapability state for, for me personally, the way I felt. Um, so being able to come back to it and actually train it and like feel better out in the world, mm -hmm. walking down the street, walking to my apartment, like none of that is even, I just do it now Yeah, where in like 2016, if you're like, hey, we're going to go for a hike, I would have been like, oh, that's cool. Like, have fun. Because yeah. it'd be miserable for me because it would be hard. And yeah. it's hard to experience and enjoy the world when it's hard to move about it. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think something should be said about like the sensations from sessions are very different. They're not 
They can be, but generally when you're pushing uh, the boundary of your personal endurance just a little bit farther incrementally, um, you don't, your question kind of whether you did enough and that should yeah. be, you're like on the cusp, you're tired, you're kind of fatigued. That makes it a session, but you could get up kind of the next day and do it again. If you had to, it would just be kind of like, meh, like, a, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to, but if you're like, this is what we're doing today, like, let's do it. Yeah, I could do it. I could put myself in that position and that that's what most people aren't used to They're You know, a lot of people that come from gym stuff are looking like, oh, I, just, I can't even walk. And that makes them know that they did something correct, even though that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I've, I've been there before and I mean, you, you have too, right. And then you get to the point where you're like, I'd rather save a little for the next day. Yeah. And save a little for the day after that. For sure. And, you know, then take a rest day if I have to or not. And maybe just adjust training like we did yesterday. Yeah. And it's more of a, like, recovery, mobility, semi-quasi-strength yeah. session. And then you're like, oh, I feel pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, then like hips are fucked, but. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> in a useful way. Like, yeah. it wasn't, at least for me at yesterday, I wasn't walking around like I felt like I just did a 5 by 5 at, you know, 70% of my max deadlift. Yeah. I just went, oh, they're tired, fatigued. One side felt a little tight. But like I felt better than when the session started. Yeah. Which is something I think we all try to do here. I know I've always or I always think now about Mark's like accelerate out the door. Mm-hmm. And like how do we get people to continually do that, even when we're adding in beatdowns and shitty sessions, but like how do we productively make people like A want to come back, B feel like they can come back, and C like have a better day because they came here. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in aerobic training does that for you. Yeah. Right? Like aerobic training should kind of without a doubt as you go along you start feeling better and better because you're becoming more efficient with oxygen in general like i this sounds really weird but even like i haven't had the best base for the last couple of years been busy haven't had time to like run true base i still like obviously train but it's still in the realm of like well i got 20 minutes so i'm gonna hurry and do something or like i have the hour in the morning and we also have to do a class and you know make it gymish yep. so i can't do just like a run most of the time and this past year, I haven't been able to mountain bike at all. So I always felt like kind of like my base is kind of degrading. That's kind of why I wanted the last 12-week kind of experiment to for myself. I was glad other people were into it, but I've needed to do it for myself. Um, and I felt it like, ex- like on hikes, on all sorts of things. Well, you're just in the... When you were in uh, London, you walked, what, like 24,000 steps or oh, 30,000 steps? Yeah, yeah. It's like it gets... How that feel? Fine. Like with backpacks, heavy backpacks, everything that felt fine. But hiking in Scotland, it wasn't even. I mean, that was some vert for sure. Sure. Um, and I didn't feel even a thing from it, like nothing. It felt like this is going for a walk. And I was like, oh, that day that we did like eight hundred step ups in Zone Two, I was like, that fucking paid off. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff starts to pay off, and it's just like. I feel better, generally speaking. I'm still tired and I've got injuries from, you know, always jujitsu or always doing something stupid in here. But for the most part, the system feels better put together when aerobic training is the predominant signal. Right. And I forgot that that's actually what it feels like. Because in here, in in gym stuff, you get carried away with the muscularity as the predominant scare. Like uh, muscular failure is the predominant signal. You're always trying to like, push something that way which it eventually leverages off of the tendons and tissues and that's why your joints start to be kind of fucked up 
And aerobic training generally helps recoup that until you go too much one way, obviously. Sure. And then you have runners that have fucked up ankles and hips and knees and whatever. But for the most part, aerobic training makes you feel better than other styles of training. Yeah, when you guys were out of town, Brandon and I went on, a, and Roger went on a few different hikes, just up like Mill Creek. Mm-hmm. We didn't do grand or anything with a ton of vert, but we're like walking up some hills, taking the trails. I'm just like, just going like I, we went six like six and a half miles the first day. And I was like, I could turn around and just do it again. Yeah, and like not sweating, not breathing hard, not just like having a good time, looking at nature, fucking having conversations with some friends, not like fucking. All right, hold on. Yeah, like none of that shit. Just like, oh, cool, we just hung out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's crazy. It's like it is useful. I mean, I don't care if people do it or not because I don't give a shit if people want to get better or not. Once they do, we can explain these things to them. But until that point, it's just kind of like you can spin on the bike and return your emails, but don't think that you're developing the same thing. That's a waste of fucking time. Even there's and don't like not everybody in here gets it. Like I. We try our hardest to like explain this stuff in a good way. And I think we do a pretty good job. But I see it in people's eyes. They do not give a shit about aerobic training. And if they don't, like, whatever. Do you yeah. think? I'm curious. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if you are yet either how we'll cycle back or when we'll cycle back to this. Mm. But I'm curious, like, over the course of you know, two, three, four, five years mm-hmm. if people stick around, if they get into it. Because A, yeah. they either notice, maybe they get some benefit from whatever they've been doing, yeah. or they see the benefit that people are getting that actually are doing it relatively correctly. Yeah. Um, to see if that helps, like, kind of push people in a direction. Because I still feel like when some people do longer zone two stuff, they, they actually view it the way you would view, like, cardio as a bodybuilder. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just like fast in the morning. I just got to spin and fucking on that treadmill. drudge through this bullshit or get on the Stairmaster. And like, there's a utility to that for sure mm-hmm. for that thing, but not, it's not training a specific system. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the answer is inherent with like the data. People who have developed aerobic systems have way more longevity, which is why I think originally that Peter Atia was interested in it is because the data shows that a prolific like aerobic system aids in so many different things. Yeah. Now, eventually there's like, you get to marathoners who are dropping dead of heart attacks, obviously. Right, yeah, anything at a level above like yeah, moderately above average is yeah. probably detrimental. Yeah, you're going to start seeing some, the bell curve kind of go the other way. But in the center of that thing, you're going to see uh, mostly a wild return on investment like an hour a day spent doing the most basic thing walking at a you know very brisk pace so zone one stuff up to uh maybe an hour or two hours three times a week doing aerobic training i there's not really obviously need some resistance exercises in there or some kind of like force multiplier but for the most part man people doing that you would i don't think you would see half of the like fucked up people that you see yeah right injury wise because the aerobic system helps fundamentally take care of that so that that that's where i sit with it but i also don't like to be like evangelist for it it's kind of like something i notice works for me but if other people don't like it i just kind of mark it off as like oh they don't know yet or if they do it wrong i'm kind of like well you're doing it wrong but whatever yeah my like my litmus test now is kind of like how do i feel outside of the gym 
Do I want to get up and keep doing stuff? Do I have the ability to? Yeah. I mean, I'm a projector, so I'm lazy by nature. <laughs> but also, like, if going for a six to ten mile hike isn't that challenging, like, that's enjoyable for me, especially yeah. with friends or sometimes alone, just being able to get away, especially living in the city now. Yeah. And I think what uh, – who coined the term uh, aerobic dysfunction syndrome? That fucking South African uh, – South Noakes. Noakes, yeah. Tim, Tim Noakes, yeah. I think about that a lot where, especially from a longevity standpoint, if you don't, like if getting up off a couch and going to the bathroom is challenging, you're not going to get out and go for a walk. Yeah, no. And then you're not going to go meet up with friends. Or you're not going to go for a hike. Like if everything is exponentially more difficult than it should be because you don't have an aerobic system, it's going to make life difficult. I So I had my eye exam the other day. Yeah. yeah. You know, the one where I found out that I have a degenerative eye disease. And I'm going to be blind one day. How many people are going to comment underneath this? Oh, Michael, I'm so sorry. Hopefully everybody. Everybody <laughs> feels so bad for me. They send me flowers and chocolates. <laughs> and hopefully chocolate makes my eye disease worse. Now I know why when I put your glasses on, I feel like I'm fucking hammered. Because <laughs> yeah, they're so bad. So, uh, but I was like, I, I found that out because I was at an appointment to see if I could do LASIK, which I am not um, apparently a candidate for that. In fact, it's the opposite for me. It would fuck me up uh, permanently. Well, I was like downstairs and this um, rotund woman was trying to help me. And she was like, okay, we're going to go up. And she was like, I've never, that was an intimately awkward experience. She, the kind of eye contact she made was really bizarre. And her presentation, cause she obviously there was like a pitch. They're trying to sell me on like outpatient procedure. So it's like, you know, not cheap. So they're like, oh yeah. Uh, and game on. And here at the vision center of Utah, and then, you know, it's like very stuttery and shitty. And then she's like, but we have to go upstairs now. And I was like, okay. And then she was like, do you mind if we take the elevator? And I was like, um, do we need to take the elevator? Cause I would like to go up the stairs. She's like, I would like to go in the elevator. And I was like, let's take the elevator. So I took the elevator. She's like, sorry, I like blew my knee. And you know, I was like, oh, you know, what is it? Meniscus or whatever, you know, just I don't care, but um, just small talk. Yeah, and, and she was like, "Oh, well, I had arthritis," and I was like, "Man, she's probably like twenty-five, oh, right." And I was just like, oh, "The system." In my head, I was just like, "And not getting like not going up the stairs, you think helps that?" Right. Like, and that's the cycle, right? Because yeah. now she doesn't go upstairs ever again. Yeah. Unless she absolutely yeah. has to. The next is knee replacement. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, like, before long, she's going to be in a rascal. Yeah. You become an elevator escalator person. Yeah. And then, before you know it, you're getting driven around the airport to get to your gate because getting to the Southwest Terminal in Salt Lake City is a fucking mile. <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare, actually. I, I think about it from the term, like, man, I forget often how. Um, how useful being just a modicum, a modicum of fitness. Yeah. And I don't even like, I don't think I'm a fit person mostly because I have this like disposition always towards what I used to be able to do like most people do. And so I'm always just like, kind of like failing from that. <laughs> but when you get around other people who are actually not fit, it is fucking shocking. Yeah. Especially in like something like jujitsu or where you're like rolling with somebody and you're like, Bro, are you gonna have a heart attack? Like you, you yeah, need you to stop fuck, mouth, mouth breathing in my face, dude. You need to chill out. Like take a round off, and they're like, I'm just, uh, they're like you can't even fucking talk. And you're like, oh, that's right. 
you know, for 20 years we've been doing this shit and therefore the benefit is that we can continue to do right. this shit. Even when I do the jujitsu playing and I get out of breath cause I hold it yeah. and then I try to move too much and then I'm holding everything <laughs> like, yeah, I'll get done. I'm like, Holy shit. But then two minutes later, I'm like, let's do it again. Yeah. Because I can recover in because between at least, those. At least you can rest and come and back it, from Like, I know I got to figure out the breathing piece and the mechanics of it, and that comes over time, and I probably have to start doing jujitsu more often for that to be applicable, but. I mean, you can breathe real hard. Somebody still choke you out. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> like, I can breathe, but I don't have blood in my brain, yeah. so you just pass out. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's call it for good. Cheers. All right, out of here. <laughs>